Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Well, we are, again, our, our theme for this year, as I talked about last year, or last week, last year, boy, that was a long week, wasn't it? <laughs> Is together building community to reach our community. And uh, I came across this passage in the book of Amos where, where the prophet asks a very important question. And uh, in, in verse 3, Amos 3.3, 3, he says this, can two people walk together without going in the same direction? And I don't think that was a question that was too difficult. The answer is obvious. It is no, no. They, they, they can't walk together unless they're going in the same direction. And it's true of many areas in life. In fact, later on today, how many of you are going to watch the Super Bowl between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles? Not too many here, uh, seeing some head shaking. Those two teams at the beginning of the year, they set out a goal like probably every team in the NFL that their desire, their, the whole point of, of playing throughout the season was to get to this moment and win this game today. But in order to do that, they had to come together around not only the team goals, but personally they had to make decisions that were going to be a part of that team working together every player doing their part in order to reach that goal and make that happen. You can have phenomenal talent. You can have a phenomenal player with lots of talent individually on a team, but I'm going to tell you that unless that phenomenal player comes together with everybody else on that team, winning is much more difficult, if not impossible. You see, unity is vital to team success. Whenever you hear of a divided locker room, like the Cleveland Browns most of the time, you know the team is in trouble, right? You, you can't be a team and win and reach the, your goals unless you come together in unity. Dr. Tony Evans, I love what he wrote. He said, one of the elements of God's rule is his heart for oneness, also known as unity. And he says this, unity can be defined in its simplest terms as oneness of purpose. It is working together in harmony towards a shared vision and goal. In its basics, that's what unity is all about. We, we not only need unity on sports teams, but we need unity in our homes. It's true in our homes. The Bible tells us that God's plan for the home is that a man and woman would come together as husband and wife, and that the two of them would become one flesh. One flesh, unity in the home. Also, unity is important in the church. The book of Acts, and I think you, you know that there is a phrase that you can see repeated over and over again. It says, and they were in one accord. They were in one accord. Scripture says that they prayed together in one accord in Acts 1.14, that they praised together in Acts 4.24 in one accord, that they faced problems together. We see it in Acts, Acts 4.24 as well, that they were facing problems together and they did so in one accord, that they sought God's power in one accord, Acts 5.12. Much of the success of the early church was due to the fact that they came together with one heart and one mind and one passion. 
To be of one accord, that's what it means, one mind, one passion. Not only are those of one accord alike, but they are striving to continue to work and move in the same direction. Today, we might say that the oneness or unity is being on the same page. We're on the same page. And it's Christ's desire that those who are a part of his church be on the same page. Today, we're going to take a look at at a, a, a really short psalm. The psalmist wrote it. It's Psalm 133. And we're going to break down Psalm 133, and, and, and we're going to take a look at, at, at this passage of Scripture because it's all about being on the same page. This is what the psalmist wrote in verse 1 of this very short psalm. He said, how good and pleasant is it when God's people live together, or you might have heard it, dwell together in unity. How, how good and pleasant it is when God's people, how how. There are a few things in this world that are precious. How many would agree with that? There's few things in this world that are, that are precious. And one of the things that the psalmist said is how good and pleasant are believers living together in unity. It's one of the marks of, of a great church is the sweetness of fellowship and the unity that we experience as the body of Christ. And although brief, Psalm 133, 1 to 3 is one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture on the characteristics and the benefits of unity. So let's break it down this morning. And we're going we're gonna to see some characteristics and benefits of unity. The first thing is, is the psalmist says that, the, that unity, the goodness of living, there's goodness in living together in unity. There's a goodness of living together in unity. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's good and pleasant. Not all Bible translations uh, have it, but in the Hebrew, there's actually a word that comes before how good and pleasant that it is, and it's the word behold. Behold. If you don't know what behold means, behold is the psalmist kind of pausing and before he even declares and writes these short three verses and makes this declaration, he is saying, behold, look, marvel at what I'm about to describe to you. Furthermore, he says that it is both good in this verse, meaning excellent, agreeable, or beneficial. Perhaps it means something like God put his stamp of approval on it. Remember last week we were talking about creation and how after every day of creation God said, and it is good, and it is good, and it is good, and it is good. And then he made man in his image as the cherry on top and said, and it is very good, it is good, it is good. God putting his stamp of approval on it. Good and pleasant, meaning beautiful. Meaning sweet, meaning lovely, right? And in other words, it's not only good in God's sight, unity is not only good in God's sight, but it's also good for you. It's not just good in God's sight, it doesn't just put a stamp of approval on, but it's, it's good for you, it's good for me, it's good for us. When we're a family, a business, a church, a sports team, there's nothing more enjoyable than when people are coming together in, in the fellowship and the unity that comes with it when you learn to work together. I like the fact that living together in unity is both good and pleasant because, let's be honest, there are some things that are either good or pleasant, right? They're either good or pleasant, but not both. For example, the Bible tells us that discipline is good for us, but it's not pleasant, right? Right? Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. 
but later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. How many know discipline is good? How many agree with that? How many parents in the house? Discipline is good, right? But how many know it's not always pleasant? There are some things that are good but not pleasant. There are some things that are pleasant but they're not good for you, like honey. Anybody enjoy honey? Something sweet? You enjoy honey? Well, in the Bible, honey was one of those, one of those, those things that people enjoyed, uh, being in the land of milk and honey and those kind of things. But they, there was a warning that went along with it. Uh, in fact, so, Proverbs 25, 16, if you found honey, eat only enough for you lest you have your fill and vomit it. It's pleasant, but if you have too much of it, it's not good for you. You know what I'm talking about? So there are some things that are, that are good but not pleasant. There are some things that are pleasant but, but not always good for you. But, but here, we, in, in this passage, this idea of unity is described as both good and pleasant. And when there's something good and pleasant, how many of you know it's a gift from God? James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father comes down from the Father. This is something that God has given. In fact, as we described earlier, the book of Acts describes the early church as having a remarkable unity. We talked about this last week, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and the believers were together. There's our word for the year, together. And they had everything in common, and they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor. How I many know oh, that's good and pleasant, the favor of all of the people? The, the first thing we learn about the goodness of unity is that it's good and pleasant, and, and the psalmist tells us that, that in the earlier, the, the Acts tells us that the early church enjoyed the good and the pleasant parts of unity, of coming together. So where do we get this unity from? What's the source of this unity? Where does unity come from? Well, the psalmist tells us the source of, uh, uh, of living together in unity when he writes this, Psalm 133, 2 through three, it's, it's like precious oil on the head running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. You see, living together in unity is described as oil that's poured on Aaron's head. We're going to get into that. You say, what does that mean? It's not Pastor Aaron's head, okay? We're going we're gonna to get into that in just a moment and break it down, because there's some really cool things in here. It's like unity is like dew of Hermon falling on Mount Zion. Notice the downward movement. That, that in each of these, there's a downward movement. It, it, starts, it starts at the top. It's poured from the head and down. It's on the top of the mountain, Mount Hermon. We're going to explain that too because there are some things that you, that you don't understand unless you dig into this passage. But the, the idea is that the source is, is flowing from up and flowing downward in a downward direction. And, and, and in this section, the psalmist is telling us that the source of unity is God himself. That God himself is the source of unity, that, that God is the one, and when we find our source in him, we find that that, that unity begins to flow down, and that, that, that blessing begins to flow down. Living together in unity is a gift of God's grace. Let's take a look. The, let, let's break it up here. It's like oil poured on Aaron's head. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. This is one of those biblical images that, that grows with each word. 
So we're going to take it word by word because it, it kind of grows with every phrase and every word. Let's start with the oil. Oil was a valued commodity back then, more than just used for, for, for cooking or, or, or gasoline. It, it is, but, it, but it's more than that. It's more than gasoline or fuel. It wasn't a part of that then, but, but cooking was a part of that, moisturizing, refreshing. They're comparing oil to a good thing. The unity that comes from God is not just oil, but it's precious oil. And precious is translated with the exact same phrase as good back in, in verse 1. It's not old oil. It's precious oil. I used to work at McDonald's. I can tell you that, that it's not always new oil that you get your fries and everything in or your chicken nuggets in. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes it is. They, they need to do a little more. Right? It's not old oil. Old oil. It's good oil. Precious oil. It's agreeable and beneficial. It's good in God's sight. He puts a stamp of approval on it. It's like precious oil poured on the head. This is a picture of hospitality and a refreshing, a refreshing and a hospitality. When you invite someone into your home today, uh, you might offer them a nice refreshing drink. Can I get you something to drink? Can I get you a cold glass of water? Would you like some, some lemonade or, or some iced tea uh, or, or something like that, a refreshing drink. Well, in ancient Israel, it wasn't so much something to drink as it much was that you'd offer them oil for their head. Why? Because the climate was hot and the climate was dusty. And, uh, and one of the things that would be a welcome relief would be the refreshing of putting a little oil on someone's head, the fragrance of that oil filling the room where you are at. In fact, you, it's similar to the hospitality and refreshing we see in Psalm 23, 5 that says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. This is, the, this is the kind of idea we see in the New Testament. You may remember Luke's gospel. Jesus was at the home of, of a Pharisee who had invited him over for dinner. And while they're there, a sinful woman runs in and she, she interrupts their dinner. She interrupts their meal and she begins to bow down at the feet of Jesus. And, and she's weeping at the feet of Jesus and, and she begins to cry. And then she breaks open oil and she begins to, to wash his feet and anoint his feet with oil and, and washes, washes those feet with her hair. And the Pharisee's kind of like, like, whoa, 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 what's happening here? He begins to judge the woman. He begins to judge Jesus. But this is Jesus, part of his reply. He says this in Luke 7, 46, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. You see, the custom of the anointing oil was one of hospitality. It was one of refreshing. It was, it was a sign that you would treat guests correctly. And as we look further, we find that this precious oil is not only on the head, but it's running down from the head, and it's, it's, it's beginning to soak the beard uh, of Aaron. It's beginning to run down and soak the beard and, and onto his collar. It's, it's running down. In other words, it's not just a little bit of oil. The blessing of the unity is not just a picture of a little bit of oil, but it's the blessing of, of, of generous generosity. There, there's not just a little bit, it's a gracious generosity, not stingy, and running down appears twice in verse 2, and a third time in verse 3, where we're going to see that it says falling. In other words, the blessings flow from heaven. Living together in unity is a, is a gift that begins and flows from the source of God, and it's not stingy, but it's gracious, and it begins to flow down. The anointing that comes from unity begins to, to flow downward, and it's not, it's not something that is stingy, but it's gracious, and it's generous. Oh, there's a little bit more in here. 
it, 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 it says this. It shifts again suddenly Aaron's beard, Aaron's head, Aaron's beard. Then it says Aaron's collar. Remember, Aaron was the high priest. It wasn't just any old oil. There was a, a precious oil that was used for anointing the priest. You can look up the recipe. It's in Scripture. If you want a recipe for that oil, it's in Exodus chapter 30, and it's a blend of olive oil, myrrh, cinnamon, cassia, and cane. It's a specific formula with specific ingredients and measurements only to be used for the anointing of the priest or the sacred objects in the temple. In fact, this, this special sacred oil that is poured out teaches us something, that there's a, a special fellowship among believers that is unlike any other type of unity that you might find in the world today. It's sacred because it's around Christ. And, and, and here Aaron is pictured, he's the high priest, but the anointing of the priest also connects to, to the previous psalm, and in Psalm chapter 132, it focused on God's promise of a Messiah who would be called the anointed one, Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a description that he was God's sent one. He was God's anointed one. And so you get this picture of, of, of the unity. You see the source of unity flows from God through Jesus Christ, our great high priest. And that anointing begins to flow down to his church. When his church is in, in unity together, there is a special anointing. There is a special blessing that comes and flows from the source of heaven itself. And it is a, a gracious anointing. It is a generous anointing. It is a blessing. And it is a refreshing it's a refreshing there's something powerful about it in fact when we begin to take a look at this Aaron's head points towards Christ the New Testament tells us in Ephesians 5 that Christ is the head of the church and that we are members of his body and Christ is the head therefore unity is founded in him we are united with Christ and therefore we are united with each other one one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one body. The head of Jesus Christ. Going back to Psalm 133, it's his head. It's running down his beard. It's on the collar, which is the collar of his robes. And this is significant because on the high priest's robe, woven into the robe, were the, were the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's the idea that, that, that as they were sewn into the robe, that, that here it's, an, it's the image of the people of God. The goodness and the blessing of Christian unity flows down from the head uh, of our high priest, Jesus Christ, flows down the beard, onto the collar, onto the robe. And it's, it's this image that the body of Christ united together under Jesus, our head, when we come together in unity, there is a, a blessing that begins to flow. There is an anointing that begins to flow. And oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And what we learn in the New Testament, as we read in the book of Acts, that when they were there together in one accord, when they were praying together in one accord, when they were believing together in one accord, when they came together in one accord, there was an anointing of the Holy Spirit that began to flow down from Jesus, the giver of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit began to be poured out and the body of Christ began to come together and there was was a sweet unity and there was a sweet blessing and there was a sweet favor you see anointing comes from Jesus Christ under the unction of the Holy Spirit and begins to flow down when God's people come together in unity 
Ooh, there's a little bit of excitement. I think I'm waking you up just a little bit. There's a second illustration, and it's, it's the first part of verse 3, and, 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 and it talks about this idea of, 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 of the dew of Hermon falling on Mount Zion. It's, it's as if the dew of Hermon is falling on Mount Zion. Two mountains are mentioned. You have Mount Hermon and Mount Zion. Now, let me, what you need to understand in looking at this, you might read it but not understand it. You got to understand the geography here. Anybody want a geography lesson? Here we go, a geography lesson. Mount Hermon is located in the northern part of Israel, and, and, and it extends along the borders of Lebanon and Syria. It's the highest mountain in Israel, and it has an altitude of over 9,000 feet above sea level. It's known for its cool nights and heavy dew. So, so Mount Hermon is known for its heavy dew. It's known for cool mountain. It, 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 is, it, is, it is huge. In the winter, it's covered with snow, and then the area surrounding Hermon stays lush and green all summer long. That's Mount Hermon. Now, compare that with Mount Zion, which is located in the southern part of Israel. And, and it's a much smaller mountain, uh, mountain. It's got an altitude of about 2,400 feet above sea level. But unlike Mount Hermon, it, it, there's very little dew, very little rain, very little moisture at all during the summer months. So you've got this comparison of these two mountains, this very tall mountain, the highest mountain, and, and, and it has snow on it in the wintertime, and, and it's got dew on it in the, in, in the summer months, and it's lush and it's green. And then you've got Mount Zion, which is a little bit smaller and more a part of a, a mountain range of mountains, and it's dry. There's not much dew at all on those mountains in the summer months. So, so what you see is, is in this passage of Scripture is that, that what they're saying is, is that unity is like the dew that falls on Hermon, but flowing into the dry and dusty and arid places of Mount Zion. It's the dew of Hermon, but, 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 but it's like when, when Mount Zion suddenly begins to experience in that dry area where it is, it suddenly begins to experience the dew. There is a, there is a refreshing that comes. There is, there is a fruit that is produced. There is lush and green life but that begins to flow. And that's what the psalmist is saying here, is that, that when the body of Christ, when God's people come and dwell together and live together in unity, it, it, is, a, it is a refreshing that brings, that, that brings refreshing to the dry times and brings lush and green fruit, uh, fruitfulness in a season where it hasn't been. Oh, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. You see, the dew is another symbol of the Holy Spirit that is essential for our unity in Christ. Apart from God's blessing, we're dry like Mount Zion. And then God, when we come together, sends his blessing like the dew of Mount Hermon. Ephesians 4 tells us that, that the Holy Spirit is, is extremely important to our unity. You see, the source of unity is God. The source of unity is, is, is coming together in the Holy Spirit. And, and Ephesians 4, 2 and 3 says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then it says these, these words, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. How many know that it takes effort to keep the unity of the Spirit? It takes effort. It takes work. It takes striving. And, and we are commanded to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Why? Because God promises us that there is an anointing and there is a blessing that comes when God's people dwell together in unity. It reminds us that we're one church. 
that we're one church. Herman and Zion kind of give us the picture that it doesn't matter if you're great or if you're small. (laughs) It crosses all human boundaries and divisions. The body of Christ, Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And in Christ Jesus we are one, and we have a special unity through Christ and His Holy Spirit. You see, dew is refreshing. It's refreshing, and the community of being among believers should be refreshing. It ought to leave us energized. It ought to leave us encouraged and renewed, charged up, revved up, and ready to go. Living together in unity comes from God down to us, starts high, comes from God down from heaven through Christ, the head of his body, through his Holy Spirit, indwelling believers, and there is nothing like it on earth. So we've talked about that it is good and pleasant to live together in unity. And we've talked about the fact that the source of our unity comes and flows from God himself and begins to flow down to us. Now, let's get a little bit further into talking about the blessing of unity. The blessing of living together in unity. Let's look at verse 3 one more time. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. And then it continues, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Life forevermore. It, it finishes out by telling us that there, in that kind of unity, when we come together in that kind of unity, there is a commanded blessing a commanded blessing, life forevermore. If you want the, the, the oil of fragrance, the dew of freshness, the, the fullness of blessing that comes from a heaven-sent revival, then friends, it only happens when we dwell together in unity. When we dwell together in unity. I don't know if you remember that high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. As he, as he was lit, just before he was, he was getting ready to be arrested, he's, he, he, he's there and he's praying and he's crying out to God. John 17 writes out his prayer for us as he looks into the face of his father and he says, I pray that they may be one, even thou, Father, uh, even thou as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they may also be in us. It's that oneness. You see, Unity among believers answers a prayer that Jesus prayed. Jesus' prayer was that you and I, as believers in the body of Christ, would come together in unity. Why? Because when we come together in unity and oneness, the winds of revival begin to blow upon the church. God's presence and God's power is sensed and seen among his people. A.W. Tozer, he, he asked this, are we such that God can bless us? Do we have this unity of determination to glorify the Lord alone, of absorption in the Lord's doings, of a determination to see the Lord's works, of a oneness in present expectation, of submission to the Lord, and of resolution to put away everything that hinders? If we are, then we're a united people and we may expect any time the oil that flowed on the head of Jesus to flow down over us and bring oil and blessing and life forevermore. Man, that's powerful. That's powerful. 
There is something powerful that happens when God's people live together in unity. There is some, something that happens. What, is, what does it mean there? There, the, there is a commanded blessing there. There is the command. Of, what does that word there mean? I think it's tying together the idea of unity among God's people, particularly as they gathered together. This was a, this was a part of the, the Psalms where they were, they were coming together for the festivals and the celebrations several times a year. In, in Jerusalem, they would sing these psalms. And I think as the psalmist is looking over, the people coming together for the festivals and the celebration and, and gathering in those kind of times, that it was there when they came together to worship the Lord that God commanded blessing their life forevermore. As we read at the opening, Romans 15, 5 and 6, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may be with one voice to glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is something powerful when God's people come together and, and begin to lift up their voices in worship to the Lord. When we come together and begin to, to honor the Lord together, when we come together and we serve the Lord together, when we come together and we love one another, there is a, a blessing and an anointing in that. Dr. Archibald Brown, he was an associate of, of Dr. Uh, Charles Spurgeon. He was also known as Spurgeon's successor. He explains the benefits of unity in the following way. He says this, There's the, there the Lord commanded the blessing. Not for us is it commanded, or is it to command a blessing. Not for us is it, a, is it to command a blessing. We can but beg for it. In other words, we can't command it. It's not in our power to command a blessing. We can't, we can't bless. We can't command that blessing. We might pray and beg for it, but we can't command it. He said, but where is it that the Lord thus commands his blessing? Not where anger and strife and discord and division abound. They have tuned many gardens of the Lord into howling wilderness. Turned many gardens of the Lord into a howling wilderness. But where love reigns, where the holy oil anoints pasture and people alike, may this oil never cease to flow upon the church. This is Herman. This Herman never lacks its due. Friends, the Lord blesses his people and his church when we come together in unity. It's a commanded blessing. It's an appointed anointing that flows down the very head of Jesus through to his body, through his Holy Spirit. It, it is a generous flow of the anointing that is both good and pleasant. Worship team, will you come? I want you to notice something about the King James. The King James says that they were one accord in one place. One accord in one place. What does one accord mean? I want to I touch on it once again, what this idea of accord means. It's the Greek word, homothuadon, which is the combination of homao or homu, which means one place, one time. So that's a single place, a singular time. It's kind of like, like an, a, an event. We're here at this time. We're, we're in this place right here in, in this church. But it combines, it's not just homo. It's not just a location or a place or a time. It, 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 it combines it with the word thumos, which means passion. It means passion. 
And then it adds to it the suffix don, which means unanimous in mind. Unanimous in mind. And so it's not just a coming together in a certain place at a certain time. It's much more than that. It's about coming together with, with, with one mind and passionately, passionately going after Jesus, passionately worshiping Jesus, passionately serving Jesus, coming together in one heart, in one mind, and seeking the things of the Lord. And what happened to these disciples when they gathered, particularly in Acts chapter 2? when they were together, as Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 says, when they were together in one accord, when they came together and they began to pray together and they began to seek God together and they began to unite their hearts together under the obedience of Jesus' command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of my Father. For you will receive the Holy Spirit. You will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you will be empowered to be my witnesses unto Jerusalem, unto Judea, unto Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. And as they began to wait upon the Lord under Jesus' command, and as they began to pray together, and as they began to seek the Lord together, and as they began to come together, all of a sudden, something began to happen. There was a a blowing and a mighty wind. There was a a shaking of the ground, and the Holy Spirit began to be poured on them. The Holy Spirit was poured on them. And by the end of it, when Peter began to preach on that day, the day of Pentecost, 3,000 came to Christ in one day. We say we want revival. We say we want the Holy Spirit to begin to flow. We say that we want the anointing of the Lord. I'm going to tell you something, church. The anointing of the Lord will not happen unless God's people come together in unity. When God's people come together in unity, there is a commanded blessing from the source of our Heavenly Father who begins to pour down the oil and the anointing of His Holy Spirit through His great high priest, Jesus Christ, begins to flow down to His body, to His church, through his Holy Spirit and it is there and it is then that revival and blessing and times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord comes from the presence of the Lord we need to seek the Lord we need to be a people who strive towards unity who guard fiercely uh, that, that we guard fiercely the unity that we walk in that we might that we might walk under the anointing and the blessing of the Holy Spirit let me close with a poem written by John Ambra unity in the body reflects God's personhood refreshes God's people reaches the perishing releases God's power and requires our pursuit. It requires our pursuit. May we be a church that pursues this kind of unity. May we be a church that comes together, building community to reach our community in Jesus Christ. I want to begin to just pray. I want us to bow our heads this morning. And here's what I want you to ask yourself. I want you to ask yourself, what are the ways that I'm, what what are the things that I'm doing? What are the areas that I'm pursuing? And and are those things, are those things 
working towards unity in the body or are those things bringing division to the body? Maybe you've got to deal with some hurt or some pain or, or some forgiveness things. Maybe there's, maybe there's some, some things in your own heart that you need to submit under the headship of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're not a part of His church and you've never received Jesus Christ into your life and you, wanna, you need to be a part of this family. Maybe for you it's saying, Jesus, forgive me. I've sinned. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life, and make me new. If that's your prayer today, will you begin to lift that up to the Lord? Jesus, I pray that you will forgive me of my sin today. I pray that you will come and make your your home in my life. I pray that you will come into my life, Jesus. I surrender my heart to you. I surrender my heart to you. Jesus, what are the areas that are hindrances and barriers to our unity? What are the areas that are a hindrance and a barrier to us coming together as your church and walking in your anointing and blessing? Father, I pray that you would deal with those things. You deal with those things in my heart, in my life. I pray, Lord, that each one of us, that we would do an inventory and you would deal with those things in our hearts. That, God, you might bring us together under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, together as one where it is good and pleasant when God's people live together in unity. We thank you, Jesus, and bless you in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information, about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.